Over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Welcome to my house, Rosie on the House, where we talk about anything and everything having to do with your Arizona house, home, castle, or cabin. You can join the conversation by dialing one 767 4348 We'll get your name, your question, and we'll get you on air and answer it for your benefit as well as the benefit of all the listeners and continue our ongoing mission of Save, educating for every right Arizona homeowner and try and become every Arizona homeowner's best friend. I'm Rosie, host of the show for the last 35 years, my son Romy is right beside me, co-host of the show for the last 25 years, and my wife, sweet Jennifer, is in the call screening booth, takes your name and your question, and we get you on air as quick as we can. And our broadcast engineer, Mr. Gary D., is in the broadcast booth. So we're all set for you, one 767 If you're a Rosie on the House insider, you get a newsletter mailed to your email box every single Thursday, and it gives you an idea of what we're going to be covering on the show this coming Saturday. It also has an event page where we post events that are going on around the state of Arizona. So if you're taking care of your home, you aren't a slave to it all weekend getting things done, and you can get out and enjoy this great state. And I would encourage you to take a look at our calendar right now. We've got the show low days that are this particular weekend. We've had it posted for several weeks, so you would have known about it. Also, for those of you that are or aren't runners, I think it's too late to register, but 10 years ago in 2013, Arizona had its most deadly wildfire, claiming the lives of 19 of the hotshot firefighters in Yarnell, Arizona. The Yarnell Memorial Run is being run tomorrow. So you might want to get up into the Yarnell area and take a look at that and and participate in the fun and the activity that's going on up there. I'll tell you one thing. If you want to put this on your calendar next weekend, the Snow Bowl has officially closed. It was open longer for skiing than it ever has been in its history. And next Saturday, it opens the gondola again. Not for skiing, but for the ride to the top of the mountain. It's absolutely spectacular. It's the scenic gondola ride up the Arizona Snowball that opens next weekend. So that that you can put that on your to-do list anytime you're running up north this particular summer. It's a great opportunity to get a view of Arizona like you can't get uh, very easily any other way. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you, Paul. First on the line, first on the air. Welcome to the program. How may we help you? I thank you. Hey, I have a question regarding dryer, clothes dryer venting. Okay. I did. I did some small remodeling in the house, and I had to move the dryer vent. Okay. So up in the attic, I moved the dryer vent over about three feet, and then. It vents out through the top of the roof. Um, it has the single wall tubing, but where I moved it over, I used a flex hose to connect over to make like the 45-degree angle up. And my question is, I can't find out if that is actual code or 
building code legal or not? So can you help me out there? You use the plastic flex line? No, it's the uh, I use the flex line that you use coming out of the back of the dryer to go to the wall. Okay. And I put that up above the ceiling in the attic to flex over to the pipe continuing out through the roof. Well, I, I think we can get my line. Arizona chimney sweep and get the definite answer on that. Um, turn on turn on William's microphone. My, William, my other son, William, is actually in the studio this morning as a guest. William, you've got an opinion on this? Hey, how you doing? I would say that you need to take that flex line out and uh, replace it with two 45s and a rigid piece of pipe. Because the flex okay. is the problem or because of the material of the flex material? Well, the... And it's, better, a, it's, a, already it's a dryer venting. vent, not a water heater vent. Yeah, yeah, but so, uh, you're still going to get um, a decent amount of debris that goes up into that dryer vent, even through your uh, your lint filter. And that corrugated uh, tubing being up in the attic where it's not accessible, it's okay right behind your dryer because you can take it out and... and and get to it, but up in your um, attic, it's, it's traveling upwards, and you want to eliminate as much friction as possible. Well, that's a good point going to a rigid, I know would meet code. Uh, I think what you've done meets code, Paul, but like William says, uh, the corrugated does, when you're pushing the dryer up that high to the rooftop, uh, it will have a tendency to accumulate quite a bit of debris. We appreciate the call. Thanks a bunch. Boy, our red notebook, we call a red notebook, is the notebook that people reach out to us either on the show and we don't get a chance to answer it uh, on air, or they're reaching out to us all week long. Um, And one of the questions that came, a lot of the questions that came up is, I heard you say this, and I just have to scratch my hand and say, we never said that. (laughs) How many times has that happened, right? But here's one. I heard you say last weekend that older homes are the easiest to break into via the back door. I have a 93 home with a back sliding glass door with a vertical latch locked. Should I replace it? Uh, It wasn't exactly what I said. Uh, I did say the older patio sliding homes, patio sliding doors are very easy to get into. And what people, what homeowners do that's wrong is they cut off an old broom handle or they go to the Ace Hardware store and they buy a, a three-foot or four-foot long dowel and they lay that down in the track to keep the sliding door from sliding. That will not stop me from breaking in. If I can lift the part of the door that slides, even when it's locked, if I can lift it, I can get in your house. Really, really easy. So the locks that you want for a patio sliding door are the kind that pin the moving part of the door to the fixed stationary frame of the door. So the unit can't be lifted. So close the sliding door and lock it. And then go outside and take a screwdriver or a drywall axe and put it down in the track and see if you can lift that door. If you can, your home is not secure. Go to Ace Hardware, buy yourself a $7 P 
pin lock, install it, it's very easy, and then you actually put a pin into the door frame that keeps that sliding part of the door from being lifted up. And, and know this, that isn't the most popular place people break in your homes. This is what comes as a surprise. We talk about this in our security blog and our security YouTube all the time and pre- presentations at Kiwanis Clubs and neighborhood watch programs and HOA programs. The number one place someone's going to break into your house is right through the front door, and they're going to do it sometime after lunch in the middle of the afternoon when they're assuming the neighborhood is at its least occupancy level with people all at work, and it's the easiest door to get into. So for protection, I can't encourage you enough to create a visual impression that your house is harder to break into than any other house on the neighborhood, then they'll stop somewhere else. And a very popular design in Arizona and the Southwest is to create a recessed front door niche under some kind of portico share or parking area. Those are <laughs> ideal for breaking into because your neighbor can't see the front door and it's very easy. And uh, so I love the idea of a secondary steel good security door on my front door. It just dissuades anyone from saying that house is easy to get into and they'll probably go down and uh, try some other home in the neighborhood. And then in your homeowners association and in your block watch programs, once all of you invest in that, then they'll quit looking in your neighborhood. Now you've made the whole neighborhood safer. All right, here's a situation on a front door. We have a problem with our front door. Several years ago, the door was replaced with a fiberglass door. We love the door and would like to keep it. The door jam is wood. The house is block. Oh, man. You, you've got like the perfect combination here. The problem started in the summer of 2021, and it stopped when the temperatures cooled back off. The door does not stay locked or in place. What's happening is the masonry will not grow dimensionally uh, any perceptible amount when it gets hot or when it gets cold. The wood won't grow perceptibly or shrink thermally either but the fiberglass will. So the fiberglass door is growing in the heat and you're actually in a point where that that receiver in the jam, we call it the strike plate, is actually interfering with the mechanism to close in place. All you probably have to do is close the door, visually look at where that plunger is hitting the strike plate and you're probably off about a 16th of an inch. Get to the hardware store, Buy a fine file, file that down a little bit, and bada-bing, bada-boom, problem solved. Wake up, sunshine. One of my favorite songs. In the whole world. Forever. Bring in the brass section. Love that brass section. Oh, I love that. Wake up, sleepy eyes. Good morning, sunshine. You awake enough to answer a couple more questions there? You're doing pretty good. Test me. Okay. (laughs) I have a 10 by 12 foot room at the end of our house. 
that the A.C. does not get to? Are there some options to cool the one room besides portable fans? Are there portable A.C. units for one room that you recommend? Well, you know what, Miss Jennifer? We're going to have a guest on in the next segment that it will be an excellent person to answer that question. Uh, but I will tell you, yes, there is a way we can solve that problem in that 10 by 12 room. Stay tuned. We'll uh, get you, uh, we'll get you uh, my opinion and an expert air conditioning, air handling equipment uh, opinion. We'll get that recorded into the podcast and we'll send it to that person, lock, stock, and barrel. Awesome. Well, there's one more. I bet there is. This is, <laughs> this is a common one, and it's a hard one to solve, um, mostly because I think people don't know where to start to look for the answer. It says, I'm reaching out about an ongoing leak through an exterior wall directly below a window. I suspected the 15-year-old window was leaking and had it replaced. I am still getting water through the wall, but it appears to be several inches below the window when I put a hose to it. <laughs> I need a knowledgeable contractor to remove the poor stucco job around the new window and evaluate the flashing and house wrap below the window for repairs. Any help you can give me is appreciated. Man, I, <laughs> I wish people would call me before they'd get the job done so that I could tell. To add, I mean, if I just paid a window contractor... To replace a window at my house because it was leaking and it was still leaking, the first thing I would do is go back to that window contractor and say, why am I fighting the same problem I paid you to fix? That'd be my start. Okay. Now, if we find out that the window company installed the window wrong, um, then we can address that. But I would tell this homeowner, go back to the window specialist she hired, whoever that was, and say, I hired you to solve this problem. It's not solved. If you were me, what would you do next? Um, and then if that window installer, whoever it was, doesn't provide you any help or doesn't show any interest in trying to solve the problem, then I'll get involved. But uh, this is when you're, when you're trying to get work done at your house, make sure expectations are set clearly so that when those expectations aren't met, no one's second-guessing about, well, I wasn't called to fix a leak. I was called to replace a window. So stucco will always leak. That's why we tell people you've got to maintain the paint. And depending on the age of the house, virtually every window we put in, an EFA system, external insulation foam stucco system, virtually every window we put in, in the 70s and 80s, was done exactly wrong. Oops. <laughs> and there was a class action suit that went nationwide, and it changed the way we installed windows starting about the late, uh, I want to say mid to late 80s, 86, 87. Uh, we, we got ourselves learned up all really good, but the entire industry was installing it wrong. And uh, if it ages back that far, then the way you put a new window in that age of a home is completely different than how you put a new window in any other home. So I hope that helps her. Go back to your window installer and tell, her, tell them expectations weren't met. What would you do if you were me? And, and if they don't respond, then I'd put it in writing and, 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 and demand an audience with them. If they don't do it, then, then come back to us and we'll see what we can do. That wraps those up. Man, oh, man. <laughs> and 
the point goes back to you know where, where you start selecting that right contractor. We have an email that we got in just last night, and somebody's looking to get their kitchen cabinets refinished, and that's the process. If the wood is still good enough, they take the cabinet doors off, they completely strip it back down to bare wood, and then start over whatever the finished product is going to be, whether it's painted, uh, stained, faux, decorated, whatever. And then when they're done with the doors and the drawers, they come back to your home. Then they mask off all your countertops and your backsplash and your kitchen and your floor, and they strip all your cabinets in your kitchen and then match it to finish it to match your, your doors and drawers. So it's a way to really update your kitchen without, you know, the expense of the demolition and rip out and purchasing of new cabinets as long as your cabinets are in good enough condition well she got an estimate from somebody and then started looking into it they are licensed but the license was issued in april of this year she's so they have been in business for not even two uh full monthly financial cycles the gentleman doing the work says he's been in the business for 30 years so there's no doubt that he probably has the experience to professionally do the work. Does he have the experience to stay in business? And when a contractor is part of Rosie on the House, they can't even start the application until they've been in business for five years. So they've licensed, bonded, insured, and in business in Arizona for five years because that is a really critical part on uh, you know going back to uh, what was the last person – email with the window you know going back to the window contractor and why'd you install it well you've got to have somebody to go back to you know they may not be in business and that first couple years of a contractor's goes into business is their most likely chance to fail 90 percent failure rate with remodeling contractors across the country in the first three years and i've always said the reason that is is because when you open a remodeling company the first people you're doing business with are family, and they all want it for free. Which is the and if you can survive that, <laughs> then you can survive everybody else. Which is always so bizarre to me, where someone's like, "Oh, my uncle or my cousin or my friend." I'm like, "Well, if it's your friend, why are you expecting it to do it for free? It's your friend. You should want him to be successful. You should want to pay him for his service. You know, a stranger's the person you don't want to pay." In the third segment of the 10 o'clock hour, that's when we cover our weekly to-do, a weekly maintenance item around your home, castle, or cabin to stay on top of the the maintenance our homes require. But we had a question uh, that came in by email that Jennifer had asked in segment number two about air conditioning. Our weekly to-do, if you're following along in our homeowner handbook, is avoiding scams and in particular uh, air conditioning contractors that may be sending a parts sales rep. Uh, on commission to your home versus a trained technician. So we thought, well, we're going to wait and answer that uh, from Todd. So uh, the question was, this homeowner's got a room on their home, 10 by 12 feet, that that part of the house just won't get cold. 
You guys never see this, right? Yeah, pretty common, actually. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, hi, sorry, Todd Russo here for Reyes. Um, yeah, so the question, obviously, was the 10 by 12 room at the end of the house. It won't get cold. What are my options? So I would suggest you do a little bit of a personal evaluation to try to see if you can come up with a couple things. So one of the things we see with hot rooms quite a bit is a pressure imbalance. And so what we always tell our customers is go try, turn your air conditioning system on, try Put the door about two or three inches from close and see if the door closes itself. If that's the case, typically you have what's called a high pressure. You have a, a plus three pascals in the room pressure. And so what's happening is the air conditioning system is not allowing that air in the room to come back to the unit. And so a lot of times uh, by simply adding an active return there, you can properly balance the air, get the airflow you need in the room, and it will cool itself down. Uh, I would also check insulation. A lot of times when we see hot rooms, we see insulation failures. A 10% failure in insulation effectively cuts the, the value of the insulation in half. So if you have, you know, a cable guy went up there someday, well, one day back in, in, in time and uh, moved some things around or uh, somebody added a ceiling fan, you probably have a bunch of missing insulation and therefore you've got a failure. Uh, there are some other options that, you know, might be, you know, you got to do a little bit of investment. You could add a zone kit. Uh, there are many splits you could add as well. But usually you can solve it with the existing air conditioning system. Wouldn't a whole house energy audit be a great place for yeah. that homeowner to start? That's the best hundred dollars you could do. I mean, that's going to find exactly that, what the problem that's going to that's going to find out the why. Yeah, exactly. And then you you know what your solution is. All right, and y'all are doing whole house energy audits. That's correct. You're the one that taught me about whole house energy audits. Yeah, like you say, the best ninety nine dollars you could ever spend on your It is the best ninety nine dollars. And when people call me and start. Uh, well, should I should I spend this on this insulation? Should I spend this on this window package? Should I spend this on this air conditioning package? I always ask them, have you done a whole house energy on it? Yeah. Find what the problem is. Fix oh, man. So hot spots in a house can be solved. Yes, they can. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they're solvable with a $99 investigation. Start with a whole house energy audit. Um, how would they get y'all out to do a whole house energy audit? Uh, our phone number is 480-969-7500, or we're at reeis.com. Okay. Uh, someone actually sent me something in the mail. Uh, it was a little box, and I opened it up, and it was a little plastic uh, military soldier, infantryman, kneeling in one position with his – he says, Rosie, this, this sounds like you attacking the whole industry lately. I said, you, you've really had your – pants a little bit chapped about the solar industry lately you really had your pants a little bit chapped with the air conditioning industry well for good reason and so i wanted to bring todd in here and talk a little bit about uh, this this is the time of year if you're going to be taken advantage of by an air conditioning contractor i would say this is prime time yeah, this is the time you're using your air conditioning the most. So and it's probably get, when you're going to have a failure or you're getting your maintenance or what. Where scare tactics can be used most effectively. Accurate. Yeah. And we have seen in our marketplace as well as in throughout Arizona, but we have seen in our marketplace where um, companies may change ownership or they may change marketing strategy. And they quit sending technicians out to your house. And they're they're sending salesmen out to your house. Yeah, I think it goes a little bit beyond that. There's been a a real change in the home service industry. Uh, 
it started prior to COVID, but COVID really escalated it. Right? Okay. Uh, what ended up happening, for some reason, private equity decided that home service businesses were the cat's meow. They had to own them, right? I could tell you why. <laughs> they, pr- <laughs> they made everyone stay at home. Yeah, <laughs> everyone right. was doing <laughs> stuff to their home. Exactly. So they're like, well, we got to go where the money is. Everyone's at home. How do we get in the home? <laughs> well, I, I think it goes beyond that. Um, if you look at kind of from a 20,000-foot view, uh, you know, we're seeing the uh, the AI come in, into play now, and there's so many jobs that are probably going to get – technology is probably going to eliminate – you can't eliminate a plumber. You can't eliminate an air conditioning contractor. So they see the growth and opportunity there. And then obviously with COVID and everybody working from home, people are in their home quite you know more frequently than they were when everybody went to the office every day. So uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix, actually Arizona is the number one consolidated market in home services in the United States. So what that means is Private equities come in, and they've started buying up all these smaller home ec- home service companies. Air conditioning, for some reason, is their fa- favorite. Plumbing is second. Electrical, third. So they're coming into markets. They're buying all of these family-owned businesses that have been around for years, that have a good reputation, that clients uh, know the companies and been working with them for years, and they trust them. And they're consolidating them uh, into these roll-up companies. And so in Phoenix, Arizona, I have a, tr- I have a, a spreadsheet that I keep track of all of my competitors that have sold. <laughs> and in the last three years, 46, it might be 46 or 48 air conditioning companies have traded hands to private equity in the last 36 months. So if you're not a Rosie on the house air conditioning Woo! company, it's probably owned by, uh, you know, what, what we call a consolidator uh, or an aggregator. It's, it's a private equity company. And – what they do is they get a return on their investment. And to get that return, they've got to they, make what sales. They, what, they, what they might do. What they might do. Everything, everything is a spreadsheet. Everything is a profit and loss statement. Um, you know, it, it's real easy to uh, only focus on profit and loss and margin if you're working out of Los Angeles or New York or Chicago, because all you're looking at is that spreadsheet. It's not your neighbor you're servicing. It's not somebody you have a relationship with. It's, it's all you're doing is monetizing. So, so behind the curtain story for the, for the purpose of being transparent, I came out on a war path against these people about a month ago because I knew it was coming. And I, I started sounding the warning bell about hard start kits compressor saver kits and I went kind of off on a little tantrum and a rant and uh, I left the studio and I got a phone call from Todd he says you can't say that (laughs) he said he said Rosie there are times a hard start kit is appropriate it's not that they're a ripoff every time no so (laughs) actually hard start kit is a great performance product for your air conditioning and if i explain it like this hard start kits used to be standard in every air conditioning right so every few years the department of energy uh creates a new efficiency standard and that makes the equipment more expensive to build and they're trying to make them cost competitive and so they start taking parts out uh and the hard start kit was the start assist kit was one of those components that they took out now if you live in wisconsin and it gets 95 degrees as the highest hottest day, you really don't need a hard start kit because your compressor isn't drawing a ton of amps. But when you live in Phoenix, Arizona, when it breaks 105, 
that compressor is pulling a lot more amps than is rated for on the system. So what a, what a hard starter or a start assist kit does is it effectively acts like a battery and allows that, it allows the, the system, uh, the compressor to have the amps it needs to start up effectively. And so it, it does save the life of the compressor. It does save electricity. It does save wear and tear in your equipment. And it is the most expensive piece in your air conditioning equipment. Yeah, the compressor is it's, yeah. it's your heart. It's you know your line sets your artery, and that's the heart of your your air conditioning system. So, uh, I, I would say they're effective. Now, what we have seen quite frequently, I think the industry average for a hard start kit is three hundred and sixty five dollars. Uh, I believe our member price is three twenty eight. Um, we've seen a lot of these companies get acquired, and then the prices somehow double immediately. So we're immediately. seeing we're seeing competitors sell them for seven, seven hundred fifty, eight hundred dollars. I'll tell you a funny story. The same part requires the same amount of time to install. Yes, double the price. Double the price. I, I will tell you. I, I was listening to a, a, a training. Um, I was watching a training, uh, paid for it, and it was one of these consolidators was was doing a, a class on how to price products. And how to and what products you should push most frequently to your customers in order to be profitable. And no, I'm not kidding you. This is what he said. He said, "I charge a thousand dollars for a hard start kit." And he said, "My technicians love it because they make more commission because they sell it for a thousand instead of four hundred. And then somebody in the in the audience said, "Well, you know, a, don't you feel guilty? And b, don't you get a bunch of complaints?" And and. The, the educator, the trainer. There's a trainer. There's a trainer, yeah. right, for one of these consultants. The trainer, literally his response was, you know what? If that person that person would have complained if you charged $350 or $400 is the same person – excuse me. The person that complained when you charge them $1,000 is the same person that would complain if you charge $350 or $400. So charge $1,000. I, I literally almost fell out of my chair. Oh, man. I was like, this is what our industry has become, right? It's it's so frustrating. I, I had a conversation with my team the other day. I said, you know, it's like it, – it's, it's, it's almost getting difficult to tell people that I own an air conditioning company because the industry has just <laughs> changed so much in the last few years, and it's just frustrating. So, well, But, you know, there are good family-owned companies, but I will say that nowadays it's more important that you know – uh, who owns that company? Because if you, there's a good chance that the company you've done business with for the last 10, 15 years is now owned by one of these groups. And it, and and I can't. I won't tell you there aren't any of those groups that can't be Rosie certified. There probably are, uh, and we'll find them. But until we do, <laughs> uh, y'all just buyer beware. Okay, so be be aware of who owns the company that's servicing your home air conditioner uh it, it can make a big difference in how fair you're being treated um well here here's what they do when they come in and they buy these companies this is the typical roadmap so they do a couple things number one they take all of their technicians and they immediately make them sales commission they, they're they're 100 commission-based pay so you pay for a maintenance they come out to your home they're getting paid either zero to do that service or they're getting paid something like 10 or 15 dollars so the technician comes out, he's making not, he or she is making nothing unless they sell you a product or service. Right. So they make anywhere from 15 to 21% of whatever they sell you. So what happens every time they come to your house? He's got to sell you $1,000 worth of repairs or parts or to something. To make the trip worth Just his time. to make time. the trip worth his time. And so that's a, a real challenge from a standpoint. It just – it doesn't align the company, the customer – 
and proper customer service, it aligns the technician's interest ahead of, ahead of everybody else. All right. We're here with Todd Russo of Rias here talking about protecting yourself from a season where an air conditioning contractor could possibly try and convince you to invest in something you don't need. That's why you listen to Rosie on House, for the protection. Well, you know, it's not unusual for us to cover a lot of subjects every Saturday morning. We've covered everything from the velvet mesquite, mesquite flour, cooking with mesquite flour, chickens, mortgages, (laughs) leak detection, and air conditioners. And I want to make something perfectly clear. Air conditioning is the reason we have 8 million people in Arizona today. Um, uh, 50s, 60s, somebody invented air conditioner and the population started exploding and it hasn't stopped since. It's a complicated piece of equipment and it does have pieces that need maintenance and can break. Yes. You definitely need to maintain your equipment every year, and you need to do proper maintenance on it. It'll save the life of your equipment. It'll make sure it doesn't break down. But air conditioning systems very absolutely have wear-out parts. Even if your unit is still under warranty, most likely some of those parts are not going to make it through the lifespan of, of, you know, of, of your unit. And replacing those items that wear out, uh, just like brake pads on a car, is going to save you a lot of money in the long run. It's going to save your equipment and make it last longer. So capacitors fail, motors fail. Uh, a lot of things need to be addressed over the course of the lifespan of a unit. And, and so, you know, it's challenging if, if, you know, all of the air conditioning, most of the air conditioning companies in Arizona are now bought by companies who are making everybody a commission-based sales guy uh, or woman. How do you know what's appropriate that's being recommended to you? So what we try to teach our team, and all of our team are hourly-based compensation. We don't pay them commission. Um, we, we make sure we, that they collect data when they go do a maintenance or go do a recall. So they have to test everything and make sure it's within tolerance. And if they're presenting some uh, an item to a customer, and candidly, sometimes we have more problems where our technicians don't present the recommendations <laughs> and then the part fails in a month or two. So we've got to get our guys saying, look, if it's not operating within tolerance, then you have to notify the homeowner and let them make a decision. But we like, I like to tell all homeowners that every piece of equipment, every component of the air conditioning unit can either be measured or it can be shown to you via a picture. So if you have a dirty coil, every technician has a smartphone in their hand. They can show you the picture of the coil, and then you can determine if you think it's dirty or not. If a capacitor is failing, they test that with an electronic meter. You can add, If they tell you it's not operating correctly or it's not operating with intolerance, it's real simple to say, show me. And if the technician doesn't have the ability to show you, then you might be a little concerned. But if someone asked a technician of mine, hey, if we presented to a customer, hey, your capacitor's bad or your motor's failing, and and I would hope that a a homeowner would say to my technician, well, can you show me why it's failing? Can you show me why it's not working in tolerance? And then they can bring them out to the equipment, show them the data from the meter, show them where uh, a bearing might be loose on a motor, and and then a, a homeowner can make an educated decision. Uh, what we don't want to see is that we don't recommend it, and then that part fails when it's 115 <laughs> out. 
Or we don't want to see the alternative, which is the commission-based sales technician who's offering things that don't necessarily need to be replaced. And people, when their air conditioning isn't working, <clears throat> can be more vulnerable to, Yes. you know, uh, you, you need a, a, a flux capacitor. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to cost you three grand yeah, you, as opposed to maybe just, uh, you know. You got a, you got a $30 <laughs> fuse that needs to be replaced and all of a sudden it's a $1,200 bill, right? And. I, I think a lot of people don't, you know, in that panic mode, they make panic decisions. And I try and remind them, look, if you need to wait to get a second opinion, it's going to be a lot cheaper to just find a hotel, spend 150 bucks for the night to stay somewhere comfortable if you need to move over there, if you if you can't tolerate the warm temperature in your home. But don't make a multi-thousand dollar decision if you've got that gut well, feeling you're – I, I would say <laughs> call Rius at 480-969-7500. We'll happily give you a free second opinion. <laughs> well, Todd, thanks for coming in. Uh, well, that's what I mean. If the second opinion can't come that same day, you know, if you have to wait till the next yeah, day to you, get it. I mean, unless it's late in the day, you usually could get a second opinion the same day. Nice. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Well, Todd, thanks for coming in. Thanks for setting the record straight. Uh, and thanks for helping educate the Arizona homeowners about one tactic that's being used by some contractors that y'all need to be careful and be aware of so if in the past week you've had an air conditioning contractor come out to your house and they've told you you need a hard start kit and they're stating prices of six and seven and eight hundred dollars you should have little alarm sirens going off inside your head double check double check double check do i need someone else to come out here and take a look at it because that piece doesn't cost that much now we've got about 40 seconds left and i want you to just address this real quick because it's in the article but we didn't uh, talk about it what do you think about these buy your air conditioning online yeah i i think they're terrible so it's you know it's cheaper less qualified it's cheaper equipment most good manufacturers won't even let you sell it online they third party out the install which is usually two guys in a truck out of their house if something goes wrong there's nobody to stand by it the install is usually poor and guess what the install is the most important part of an air conditioning unit if it's installed poorly you're going to lose half the cooling capacity or at least 40 percent of it don't do it